in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so gracious. And Lord Jesus Christ, oh, these words you have spoken to the disciples, that you speak to us. Oh, Lord, we feel your heart. We feel your love. We feel your empathy and, and concern. And everything that you told the disciples we know was written also for our well-being and good. And so help us hear well and take to heart every word that you have spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we look at John 16, let me ask you, have you ever felt sorrowful? Have you ever felt troubled? Have you ever felt distressed? Have you ever felt like, oh, I need help? Well, this chapter, it could not be more perfect, could it? Because these are some of Jesus's farewell words, and you know we've talked about it. This is not broken into different days or weeks. This is one continuous teaching, one continuous conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples before he leaves. Just like once when Keith and I went out of town for the first time and left our teenagers, and we had lots of words to say to them before we left town. <laughs> and so, you know, you can call here and be sure you don't do this, and these are some things you can expect. And so we, oh my goodness, we just, I have goosebumps thinking about it right now with Jesus anticipating his return to heaven and knowing what was going to happen to him, but also how the disciples were going to be in such shock. And so we see in verses 1 through 6, and then again in verse 32, Jesus tells his disciples the truth about what is going to happen to them. So let's read this. In verse 1, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. He, he doesn't want them to fall away. He doesn't want them to get tripped up on what is about to happen in the next day. But I'm not sure how I would feel if I was a disciple. And then I heard my friend, my Lord, my Savior, my teacher say, verse 2, they will make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you. Well, if you were a disciple and Jesus said, everyone who kills you, we read these words and we just kind of read over them as if we're reading a narrative. But how would those words ring in your head and what would be going on in your heart if Jesus said they're going to make you an outcast, in other words, you're never going to be able to step foot in the synagogue again. And you're going to be killed. The emotions, the thoughts racing through their minds, we can't imagine. In verse 3, he says, these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Oh, yes, I, they would have known Jesus, who he was, but this word know is the word in the Greek, gnosko, and it means to know intimately, to know genuinely. Verse 4, but these things I've spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I didn't say to you at the beginning because I was with you. 
but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He can, he's, he's looking at their faces, and, and he, he, he knows that sorrow, grief, has just filled their hearts. And of course, they would have been after hearing all these words, and then he's leaving, and they're going to be killed and become outcasts. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he's already told them that the helper is the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus is making a claim that he is going to send the Holy Spirit. His claim to deity, his claim to oneness with God just keeps increasing profoundly with every word he says. Because who can send the Holy Spirit? Well, only the Holy God can send the Holy Spirit. And so here their minds are trying to absorb all this. And he says in verse 8, when he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, and concern, and because I go to the Father, and you will no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, Jesus said. But you cannot bear them right now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And this was exactly what Jesus said he did during his home ministry. Jesus said repeatedly that he did nothing on his own initiative, but as he heard from the Father, then he acted, whether it was the timing to go see Lazarus and raise him from the dead, whatever Jesus always said, he did nothing on his own initiative. He did it as he heard from the Father. And now he is saying the Holy Spirit is going to take that role and he won't do or say anything in your life, friend, except by the Father's command and initiative. And so we see this, it's an extremely important concept for you and me to understand. He'll guide you into all truth. He will disclose to you what is to come. And that word disclose means he will make apparent to you. And I pray that even as we look at ways that the Holy Spirit was used in the writing of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit was used at this period in time, I pray that you, as you are increasingly abiding in Christ, and I have been praying for those of you who turned in your slips last week, I've taken those slips and I kneel before the Lord in my prayer time and have included those of you who turned in those slips that you want to increasingly abide. You want to increasingly bear more fruit. You want to abide more faithfully. And I will continue praying for you that. So he, he speaks and, he's, and as, as we pray and as we abide, he also discloses, he also makes things apparent to you and me about things that we are to do, things we are not to do. In verse 14, he says, he will glorify me for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. He says that a second time, the Holy Spirit will disclose in verse 13, 
in verse 14, he will disclose. And again in verse 15, he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So as we are looking, we are seeing Jesus make this transference from him being on earth and taking clues from the Father and then relating it to the disciples, to Jesus going to heaven and the Holy Spirit being the one on earth, taking what Jesus says and the Father says and disclosing it to you and me. We are now the disciples and we need to hear his voice and we need to understand our role then to go into the world. In verse 15, he says, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Let's stop for a moment right there and discuss some of what we have been looking at. Jesus tells them they're going to be outcasts. They're going to be killed. They're going to be left without him. They're going to be scattered to their own homes. When we go back to this verse 32, behold, an hour is coming. He keeps talking about this hour and it's already come for you to be scattered. So you're not only not going to have me, you're not going to have each other. You're each going to be scattered to your own home and leave me alone. So they're going to be scattered. And then he tells them in verse 33, on top of that, that they're going to have tribulation. He says, in the world you have tribulation. So it's all this bad news, pretty much, right? Except for when he starts talking about the Holy Spirit being their helper. But they're probably thinking, I don't want a spirit. I want a person. I want you that I can touch, that I can eat with, that I can speak directly to. And so they get all this, what I would think of is in terms of being bad news. But then Jesus goes ahead and he tells them that good news that we just read. The good news about the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, again, I'm going to ask you to... Pretend like you have not been in church all these years and you have not heard about the Holy Spirit and you're living at the time of the disciples when the Holy Spirit had not yet come. Pentecost has not yet happened. And your reference for the Spirit of God is Genesis 1-2. The Spirit was moving over the surface of the deep. That's the first time we see the word Spirit and creation occurs. Genesis 41:38 Pharaoh recognized a divine spirit in Joseph. The Holy Spirit was given to particular people on rare occasions at certain times for a particular work. David was given the Holy Spirit after Saul had received the Holy Spirit, but God took the Holy Spirit away from Saul. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit is never taken away from you now when you act inappropriately and go off course like Saul did? As concerning David, 2 Samuel 22, 1 says, Now these are the last words of David. The son of Jesse declares, the man who was raised on high declares, talking about David, King David, raised from a shepherd boy to king. The sweet psalmist of Israel is how he's referred to. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me. That's what David said. 
The Spirit of the Lord doesn't have a, a mouth and a voice here on this earth unless it's by your mouth. Do you hear David's words? The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. Ladies, this is a call. This is a call. Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and this is a call for you and me to live and speak by the Holy Spirit. So he tells them this good news. The Holy Spirit is advantageous. It was better for Jesus to go back to heaven because as long as he remained on earth, he was in one place at one time. That's why he told the disciples greater works would they do than he did because the Holy Spirit is now in you and you and you and you and all over the world being used for the kingdom. And, and so it's to their advantage that the Holy Spirit go and they would never be separated. At times, Jesus sent the disciples out by two and then Jesus wasn't with them. But now when the disciples went, now when you and I go out, we are never alone. He said he would be with him forever. The Holy Spirit is our helper. That word means an advocate or a counselor. So he can counsel you about what to do about your money or your marriage or your parenting or whatever future you have. He's also called the advocate. And that is a, a word that reminds us in a court of law. The good thing is for the believer, he is your defense counselor. But we will see also as he was sent from Christ, and I, I do want to have you pay attention to this if you turn over real quickly in Acts 2.2. I love this because he says that he, Jesus says that he is going to send him after he goes back up to the Father, that he is going to send him. And then if you read in Acts 2, verse 2, this is when Pentecost had come and they were all together in one place. Verse 2 says, and suddenly there came from where? Yes. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit from heaven. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound a noise like a violent rushing wind, which Jesus had described the Holy Spirit as a wind when he was explaining it one time to Nicodemus. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then of course, you know, the tongues of fire, verse four, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, friends, everything Jesus said occurs. And you and I can trust that everything that is written in this holy scripture is going to happen. The question is, at what level of participation are you enjoying the divine spirit of the living God in you? Oh, raise your hands, open your hands like this right now and just say, Lord, I do want all of your Holy Spirit that you possibly can use through me. We have all of the Holy Spirit if we're a Christian. The point is that I've often heard preachers and teachers say, it's a question of how much of you the Holy Spirit has, because we have all of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he says, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Friends, again, we see the fulfillment. 
Jesus said these kinds of things were going to happen. Everything Jesus said was going to happen did happen. And at Pentecost, when Peter stood and he preached the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts 2, 37, we read, oh, let me back up to verse 36. When Peter was preaching, he said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. That is conviction. Have you ever been pierced to the heart? Because now, in this situation, with the world, with the unbelievers, the Holy Spirit is not acting as an advocate. He's acting as a prosecuting attorney. He is convicting. A person who is sentenced to jail, they are called a convict. Guess what? In God's court of law, it is not this. In God's court of law, it is this. Sinner, liar. You crucified Jesus and they were pierced to the heart. They were on this side of grace. And, and the Holy Spirit was sent not to shame, not to send to hell. The Holy Spirit was sent to speak the truth, to convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment that a judgment awaited and to rescue us. Paul writes, to rescue us out of the domain of darkness and to transfer us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom there is no darkness. The Holy Spirit is active. He is working. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, he tells us in verse 13. Do you remember when Ananias and Sapphira tried to lie to uh, Peter? about how much money they had gotten. Well, hey, you're talking to Peter, who has the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, and you think you're going to lie and get away with it? You're not. I'm not. But also, not only must we be honest in our relationships with God and in our prayers and in our conversations and in our confessions and our seeking his will, but we also need to recognize that he will guide us into all truth if we have a question. He is the spirit of truth. He guides into all truth. And we saw the Berea uh, Jews studying and they were guided into the truth. He speaks on Christ's initiative. So when you read in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. That's what, that's what Jesus is explaining here, that the spirit is going to continue to teach. The spirit is going to continue to disclose. Do you remember here, we just read that Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear it. If you just flip through, Acts, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philemon, Jude. You are reading the many more things that Jesus had to say, but they couldn't absorb it. 
So never think that, oh, I just want to read the red letters because those are Jesus's words. Well, friends, the rest of the scripture, Revelation is also Jesus's words. And in case you haven't looked, Jesus is right there in Revelation speaking to the churches. He's, he uses he discloses what is to come, as we've already seen, and you, as I mentioned, you look at Revelation, he glorifies Christ. Now, the second thing that, that Jesus does is he explains this principle of a little while. In verse 16, a little while and you will no longer see me, and again, a little while and you will see me. And the disciples said, what is all this, a little while? And Jesus knew, and so he said in verse 19, are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me? Of course, he was talking about he was going to be taken, tried in a mock court, crucified, buried. In a little while, they would not see him. But then he says, in a little while, you will see me because he was going to be resurrected and he was going to appear to them in the upper room. They couldn't understand it, but he was saying it, and he tells us that he was saying it beforehand so that when it came, they would know. This principle of a little while, he goes on and explains in verse 20 through 22, which is perfect, and this is again his 21st time that John has recorded that Jesus said truly, truly, which means this is, this is a done deal. I'm just letting you in on the Father's and my plan that's already been accomplished. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Grief is going to be turned inside out. Just do that with your hand. It's going to be turned inside out. He says it's going to be turned. The grief is going to be turned into something different. Only God can do that. And he gives the example when a woman is in labor and she has pain because her hour has come. But then she gives birth to the child and she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of that child. I don't know how many of you have had children. I, with Lauren, did not. They didn't get anything to me in time. Long story, I was the first person in their birthing room and they couldn't find anything because they're all hidden behind pretty furniture. So I got to have Lauren, like Little House on the Prairie. But, <laughs> but, I, but that's, not, that's not where I am. My, my, where I am with Lauren is in the joy. And that's what he's saying. You too will have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. So Jesus explains this principle of a little while. It's possible to be at peace with God and in his will, yet have a sorrowful heart. Say it with me. For a little while, if you've got a loved one who's gone on to heaven, but you will see them again. Psalm 35, read that verse with me. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. First Peter 1 Peter 1.6, read it with me. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. First Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered... For a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So whenever you're going through that bad, 
You remember those words, say them with me, in a little while. Will you hang in there, girl? Will you remember those words? Jesus tells his disciples they will see him again. I'll be back, is what he said. I may have shared with you before, but when we got our little yellow lad puppy, just so cute, and we would put her in our bathroom and put the gate up, and she did not want to be left. And oh, she'd start whining and crying. And I would say, I'll be back, Katie. I'll be back. I'll be back. And she would just stare at me, you know, as I left the room. Well, that's what the disciples did when Jesus ascended. Do you remember it said they just stared at him going up? But he had said, I'll be back. Jesus said, I'll be back. And he teaches them this principle that he'll be back. And he was back. He came to them in the upper room. He was back with them beside them at the Sea of Galilee. He was with them. And they watched him ascend into heaven. He appeared to over 500 people, Paul writes. I'll be back, he says. And he's coming. And he says he's gathering us to meet him in the air. I'll be back. He is returning to earth. Hey, friends, say those words with me. I'll be back. I'll be back. I guarantee you, just like he fulfilled his promise to the disciples, for a little while you're not going to see me, but I'll be back. And we have that hope and that assurance. Now, Jesus tells his disciples to pray to the Father. And I have always loved this passage in verse 23. He says, in that day you will not question me about anything. Our 22nd truly, truly. I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Again, these statements that from Jesus' mouth that we're so familiar with, they are revolutionary to the disciples' ears. He has taught them to pray, our Father. And now he is saying, use my name. We hosted Disciple Now this past weekend. And we had the privilege of having nine middle schoolers and their two sponsors in our home Friday and Saturday night. Now, you might not think nine middle schoolers <laughs> two nights, but they were great. But as, uh, as we had these boys in our home, they, they all rushed in the house first, and our grandson was one of them, Hudson. And so the boys are kind of trying to figure out what to do and where to go, and Hudson was like, I'll show y'all. Hudson totally took the lead. It was Hudson's, it might as well have been Hudson's house, our grandson's house. He was showing them where they could get something to eat. Oh, you can go over here and, and play pool. Oh, over here. And Jesus is saying, hey guys, I'm going up to my father's house and, and you can ask him this and you can ask him this in my name. Just, it's just my name, Jesus, just in my name. I'll, I'll be in my father's house. Ask. Yes. Ask in his name. Now, of course, that means in his will. And he will give it to them. And he said, it's going to just give you so much joy. Have you ever experienced wonderful joy over prayer being answered? Oh, Yes. Why are sometimes our prayers not asked when we say, Lord, heal my dying child. Lord, take away this sin from my life or all those in 
Jesus' name, when we sincerely mean them. The only thing that I know to explain to you that the Lord has spoken to me about this is when, and I'm sorry I don't have the exact verse, but when uh, we're told in Scripture that His ways are higher than our ways. So those, those prayers that are not answered, those questions that we have, that's where faith steps in. And we have to just say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I trust you. And I understand that for a little while, there's prayers not being answered in the way I want, or it hasn't been answered, but I will trust you assured, as Jesus told the disciples, that the Father loves them. And the Father loves you. I want every one of you to hear that from the Lord, the Heavenly Father. I want every one of you to hear this. You may not get a happy Valentine's from somebody. You may not get the flowers or candy, but hear this from the Father. He is prompting me to say it to you. He loves you. He loves you. Do you hear those words from the Father? Jesus said it. He loves you. So this principle of prayer is we can ask according to his will and character and spirit, and he will give it to you. The Holy Spirit will groan with words beyond words that we sometimes have. And Ephesians 6.18 reminds us of the importance. Prayer is not you and me mindlessly chatting. Oh, Lord, I wish you'd just take away this pain. Oh, God, I just wish my children would come to church with me. That, that is you maybe chatting with yourself. I don't know. But Ephesians 6, 18 says, pray at all times in the Spirit. So you're engaging the Spirit of God. You are taking time to be with Him. You take time to open your phone. You take time to go to that app. Take time to go to the Father, even if you're driving or whatever you're doing. But take time to recognize that it's not mindless chatter, but that your Heavenly Father draw my children to you. And, you, and it's, you're praying in the Spirit. Finally, as we close, we see that Jesus encourages his disciples that in the world they have tribulation, but in him they have peace. Y'all know that I'm a visual learner and I, I, I like to use illustrations. And as I was thinking about this passage, I thought Jesus is just going ahead and telling us that, and I tried to find an electric cord and we couldn't get one that would work today, but I wanted to turn on my blender. <laughs> because do you ever feel like your life or you are just in the big blender and everything's just going on around you, whether it's sickness or kids or grandkids or, or whatever it may be going on. And a lot of it is just plain black and dark and it's just blah, 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 and you're just there in this blender of the world. Well, Jesus has warned you, that's called tribulation. And he said, you have it, you have it in this world. But he says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. I was reminded as I was working on this passage of a mezuzah, this is what Jews would put on the door frames doorposts as they would go into their house on the right side. And the reason you see it 
turned sideways is because half of them thought it should be turned this way and half of them thought it should be horizontal. And so that is why Jews put their mezuzahs on the door frame at an angle. And it's a law. You have to pivot at the angle. But inside, and I had forgotten if I ever even knew it, they would put the scroll with Deuteronomy passage 6, 4 through 9, and they would also have the word almighty written in it. And I actually put my little, I did that, and I put that in there. So every time they would enter their home, they would kiss their fingers and touch this, and then go on in their home. It was a reminder of the Almighty God. It was a reminder of his words in Deuteronomy where it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. If every time you went in your house, you were reminded of that. If every time you and I exited our house, we were reminded of that. I don't know if you've ever kissed your fingers and kissed the mezuzah. I haven't, but I will tell you this. I have kissed this. I've kissed my Bible. I have blown a kiss to the Lord. You may think that's silly, but I have. Do you love the Lord your God? Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength? Because Jesus says that in the world we have tribulation, but in him, in him, if we are loving him, if we are abiding with him, Here's the world, tribulation, but here is Jesus in whatever you're facing, and he has overcome the world. Are you and I abiding with him? Are we staying with him? This principle of peace is peace is not found in the world, but rather in Jesus. We are to abide in him. He is your safe place. He is your go-to place. He is your prayer place. He is your constant place where you go, and when you're hungry, this is what you eat. And when you're thirsty, this is what you drink. And when you're sorrowful, this is where you pour out your tears. And oh, he will give you his peace. Jesus reinforced these words by adding, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. The encouragement for us as we close is to remember, and I'd like for you to read those out loud. You have a helper, the spirit of truth, joy for the receiving. If you'll take it, if you'll pray in Jesus' name, you're going to have joy. A heavenly father who answers when you pray in Jesus' name. Peace is what he offers you. Now, if you don't have peace and you don't have joy... You don't have anybody to blame but yourself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not my words. Except for, say it with me, a little while. <laughs> there may be times of stress and sorrow, right? Right for a little while. You have courage. You can take hold of verse 33. He said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. He wants you to have peace. In the world you have tribulation. And then he says, take courage. Just reach out your hand and act like you were going to take hold of courage. Yes, take it. It's yours. He offers it to you. Take it. Take 
your courage. Take his courage from him. And you and I have Christ's return to look forward to. And of course, if you are not a believer, and I pray you invite your friends who are seekers and not believers, you can confess. If that, if that conviction of the Holy Spirit has rung in your heart, I am a sinner. It's not for your shame. It's for your salvation that he calls you. It's for your salvation he calls you. He will forgive you. I'm curious, has the Lord said anything to you today through the Holy Spirit? Write it down. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. We love you. We love you. Amen.